0: It's our first Tacky Talk of uh, September 2023 with State Representative Tacky Chan of Quincy. Hey, Tacky, welcome to hey, September.
1: Hey, Joe, good to see you in the month of September. It's uh, September 6th, I think. So I hope so. That's what it says in the bottom right hand of my computer here. Uh, and I hope you had a fun and pleasant Labor Day. We actually got some decent weather uh, going to Labor Day, uh, Labor Day, not too. Uh, hot on Friday and Saturday, a little bit more humid on Sunday and uh, a bit humid yesterday. But overall, uh, we finally got blessed by a decent weekend.
0: I know, we kind of bookended the summertime. Memorial Day weekend was was nice. Labor Day was nice. It's just the in-between part that was crummy.
1: <laughs> uh, agreed. Uh, it It's a lot of uh, discontent from people who had booked tri- trips to the Cape and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I had friends on the Cape too. And I think you went a couple of times and it was kind of hit or miss on the days.
0: Pretty much. Didn't get a lot of beach time in, um, but it was time off, so there you go.
1: Well, I had my first real, I wouldn't call it quite sunburn, but I mean, after yard work, you know, I <laughs> had a bit of uh, skin exfoliation, let's call it that way. Uh, <laughs> normally exfoliate after July 4th when I'm getting way too much sun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, out in the parades, as you know, uh, but yeah, this is like late exfoliation, people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: any um labor day specific events uh, that you attended
1: no i uh had a fairly quiet labor day guys i didn't do uh go into boston um actually i actually spent uh labor day caulking a bathtub as well as changing the water filter in my house i have a water filter in the basement for the whole system uh turned out to be a little bit more work than expected and uh, those of you have cock tubs know you just don't cock at once you got to go in there a few different times to clean out the grout and you know, go through, through through all the all that and i actually have up a kitchen sink that's up next to do so uh, like alia i mean i have you know all this little housework you need to get done i mean the lawn finally got mowed for example this weekend and a lot of branches were cleared out and because of all these storms we've had, had a hell of tree branches some pretty pretty big ones actually not just little bits of, of, of tree branches just like you know good four inch size uh, branches came down and had to borrow a chainsaw. I know every time I mention that, people get afraid, me with heavy, sharp equipment. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm accident prone, but still have all my limbs. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I had to, you know, grind them down and I did not get to use the fire pit once this year yet. Just terrible weekends.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. You needed, I mean, some, some weekends you needed to put a sweater on for granite land.
1: <laughs> yeah, very confusing, right? So uh I like the fire pit. It's therapeutic and uh it's a good way of, of dealing with some yard waste while you know, while, you know, enjoying a little fire pit. I mean, I just don't
0: yeah, know how to, maybe a marshmallow or two in the process.
1: <laughs> I don't do it every day or every weekend, but you like you figure you can use it, you know, maybe twice or three times a year, invite some friends over, chit chat next to a fire kind of thing. And right, marshmallows or, you know, I have one they can put a grill over so you can do some, you know, light barbecuing.
0: Well, here we are. It's uh, back to school. Actually, first day in Quincy is uh, today, and then uh, all the fall events that are, that are kind of
1: come up soon. Oh, well, as a childless individual who's still single, uh, I am not nearly the same euphoria as all my friends who have children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the most wonderful time of the year for them, and the worst
1: time for the kids. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah. Every uh, time this year, all my friends have children. are Like it's school day they get excited more than the children and uh i'm just kind of like yeah I, I don't know what that's like and um uh, i i do live vicariously to, to my friends regarding family matters
0: <laughs> not a bad thing at all certainly um but you'll have some events to attend right And in, in the district uh in the fall for sure
1: yeah child is coming up on the 9th of september two to six or so out in the neck at the end of c street in the old harvey boat rental site um uh, I actually have a memorial service. I got to head to Worcester uh, the morning of. So I'm not going to get the fest to much, much later and probably have to just do the fast walkthrough at that point. Um, but you should hopefully see my sign up by me and many other folks that are sponsoring the event. Um, you know, we talked about this before we started the show, you know, regarding the Eastern Astronomical College migrant situation. The mayor has said meeting on the 12th at Central Middle School at 6.30 start to have the state come down to talk about. The migrant issue bit and you know is there a plan? What is the plan? You know, what is the what is going forward? Um, you know, that's gonna be coming up. And you know, we got invitations for things like, you know, Dove's Harvesting Hope in October, which is their annual fundraiser, which is the uh, those who don't know, that's our local domestic violence shelter and advocacy agency. Um and I, you know, think that uh Interface Social Services will be sending in soon for the well for another winter event. But I don't expect um, a large number of uh, late November into January events this year. COVID numbers are huge, are spiking again. I won't say it's a huge spike, but it is spiking. Uh, if you look at the pattern from the last uh, two cycles now, COVID, August seems to be when it starts to pick up on its way to a rise into the winter.
0: Yeah, uh, and I know there's going to be some new... Uh... Vaccines coming out soon for the new variants, so uh, folks should look for that along with their flu shots, of course.
1: Yeah, hopefully the uh, v- uh, new uh, vaccine shots for the BXX will be coming out uh, in mid to late September. Uh, flu shots are available; you know, you can get it now. We're actually right around the right time of year that should be getting a flu shot. You know, mid early mid September should give you enough coverage through the winter time. Virus um, virus V. RSP, what I keep pronouncing it wrong, but yeah, you
0: know, V is in Victor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If you're older, definitely get that. It's actually not uncommon for uh, young children to give that to their grandparents. It can cause respiratory issues as a relatively new vaccine. Um, shingles vaccine, if you're 15 above, definitely, you know, schedule in Shingles vaccine. If people have had Shingles, will tell you it's a very miserable experience. I've known people who've had it. Uh, you're better off vaccinated and have to deal with that. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, there's plenty of vaccines uh, you could schedule, you know, not for all in one day, but you can kind of space them out. But well, obviously flu is the one's going right now the was pushing because it gives the maximum coverage, you know, maybe you should get COVID close to the end of September it takes two weeks to activate. Um, and then, you know, you at least get your coverage probably right into you know January, February and, you know, shingles and other things. So you probably should get your, at your leisure. Um Shingles vaccine is kind of fun. Uh, shingles is kind of funky because it's like an existing virus already in your system from chickenpox.
0: That's right, Dan. Yeah, it's a two-shot vaccination, also, so you need to space it out for a certain amount of time.
1: Yeah, fifty and above. Um, you know, highly recommended by the CDC for shingle shots. So, so I say it's an odd one because shingles is a, a, a variation of the chickenpox. If you had chickenpox, that virus is still in you. That's that's kind of how you. Um, created your own immunity against future chickenpox. But shingles is a there's a variation actually caused by a mutation that can be given to you by a kid, or you have, it's already, it's in your body and decided to, you know, change what it is.
0: Yeah. With regards to the the, the Welcome Center, DNC, Techie, the meeting coming up next week, Did I mean, obviously, you know, the governor declares state of emergency. I know the National Guard's been uh, sent to some of the hotels, uh, not, not in Quincy, I don't believe, uh, but in other areas, they're having trouble...
1: Do you think the state's doing all it can? Well, the problem is we don't know where we're trying to get to, right? I mean, I had talk with the Secretary of Housing uh, Office uh, last week, and you know, the question was very simple in the end. I mean, where are they coming from? And a lot of his initial thoughts was this was a federal program. But those are generally coordinated through local refugee organizations. The feds have designated certain organizations for refugee placement. Ukrainians and Afghans and Haitians have utilized local organizations. This is different um, because we don't know when they're arriving, how they're arriving, and where they're arriving. Uh, So it's not really coordinated in the sense that the feds have decided to start shuffling people around for a lack of a better term. And proceed to, uh, you know, contact various states and their own uh, refugee assistance networks to let people know they're coming, and then the federal funding uh, will follow. Uh, this is not that circumstances. What I'm getting the impression from the Secretary of Housing's office, uh, this is a uh, they just show up somehow situation, and we don't know when, where, and how. And this is the frustrating part of holding. It's from, from my standpoint, uh, I'm not averse in helping folks. The problem is that I just do not know what resources we need because every person is different. We don't have a coordinate effort. And thankfully, we live in a city as a high service city, right? We have QCAP basic community services, we have Manic Community Health Center. We can go on and on and on. Um, and as we've proven during COVID, we've learned how to ramp up big time uh, when we need to ramp up. But we actually knew what we were trying to ramp up to. Th- that's not the case here. We, we, it's the lack of uh, predictability of it all uh, is is the troubling part. In certain communities uh, in wealthy areas like Acton, the one that comes to mind, you know, are accepting a uh, small number of refugees. We're not talking like hundreds, we're talking dozens. And uh, they don't have a human service network. If you're in a high wealth area, you don't need a QCAP, you don't need a community health center. You're pretty much okay. Um, so the National Guard is being sent out out there largely to help coordinate human service efforts of existing agencies trying to get to places that they don't normally serve. There's no reason to need a community health center in Lexington. So that, that's kind of what's going on here. It's uh, why we have the National Guard out. I don't expect to see any National Guard in Quincy, maybe a couple, but very unlikely. Um, also, we have a little concern talking to folks uh, locally we don't want also to give the uh, impression that this is kind of an uh, imprisonment situation, right? People in uniform, you know, trying to contain people um, in, in kind of uh, that uh, appearance of, right? An appearance of some kind of like military action. This is the National Guard. It is not the U.S. Army. The, the uh, federal government is prohibited from using, you know, U.S. military personnel on American soil, um, this is an uh, active, but a governor. It's not a security issue. This is a humanitarian assistance issue. Uh, and we know the National Guard are not human service workers. So, you know, they're really there to provide support for existing agencies. Still, they need money from the feds. I suspect that, you know, we're already putting money in from the states. I suspect maybe down the road we have to kick in a few more dollars, but we've already, you know, allocated resources for um, Haitians, Afghans, and Ukrainians before uh, this situation. Um, and we'll see where we go from there. But, you know, I'm troubled more by the inability of us to have some level of predictability so we can address the human service needs.
0: Yeah, that's a good point about the National Guard. They are, um, they are logistical experts. So they know how to, you know, transport and, uh, and relocate large uh,
1: numbers of people in a very efficient way. Uh, yes, you're correct. I mean, you can get stuff boxed up. You can get people moved around, uh, you know, get the trucks um you know, help identify locations and you know logistics for community help centers to get out to places normally they, don't, they normally go to. And I've heard stories of places where you know these folks have been put in hotels, but you can't walk to a grocery store. It's like 10 miles on a highway. So if you like if you're on like you know parts of like Route 9, for example, you know, where you're in the middle of nowhere between um the hotel and anywhere else, you're kind of trapped and you'll get you got, got you no know, actually I you know it's true. There's been situations where you know, folks were literally starving. They did not think about how to get them food. Um, with hotels, that have no restaurant components. So, I mean, you know, there's a humanity to this stuff, folks.
0: I mean, you stop- Yeah, they ch- can't just jump in a car and go down to the store. They, they you know, <laughs> they
1: barely have the clothes in their back. Yeah, it's difficult enough to think that, you know, we're in a country where we let people go hungry, particularly those that the government has placed. But the idea of having children also go hungry and pregnant women getting hungry, um, because they've been placed by the government in a location and they really don't know what to do next because they don't know where they are. They don't understand what's happening and the government's place to here. You know, I would prefer we could try to avoid that. happening.
0: Yeah. Can, can the state delegation reach out to the Congress, you know, our congressional
1: delegation for, for assistance? Well, when uh, Liz Warren was here visiting file the bills and we, we made a quick, quick mention to her that we got a problem. She's aware of it. The federal delegation is aware of what's going on and, You know, that's the best we can do is bring it to their attention and, you know, to bring attention to the Biden administration about what they're going to do next. Uh, And But I mean, these are families here. They have kids uh, and uh, they would do any, the parents would do anything to save their children. Uh, You don't send, you don't trek, you know, thousands of miles um, if you didn't have a purpose. And the people in Quincy are families, uh, pregnant women, people with young children, um, coming from a very bad situation, they're running from something. Uh, you know, most of us don't know what the experience like is to run from something that that's dangerous and potentially, you know, not just kill you but also your young children. So, you know, I get it. Hopefully, other people understand that too. Uh, I live in Wallston. Those who may not be aware, I'm about ten minutes from ENC, Center Sanders, five minutes and foot from my house. Um, you know, it's my neighborhood too, folks. I live here, and uh you know I've seen' them, folks around, and they just there i mean it's not like there's any problems. I've not heard of one incident of any issues, and people just I you know, see people enjoy the night walking their children, uh, probably one of the most peaceful places in the world is walls and center, yeah,
0: it's certainly uh quieter than it was years years past that's for sure
1: <laughs> well I, I grew up here, so I mean. You know, been in the same house since 1977. So, now you're just a new car. <laughs> <laughs> I found out that I am not the oldest resident in my neighborhood more than once. Uh, no, so- I'm sure that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Some folks have been here since the 50s when this was still farmland. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Sure. Uh, anything going on at the estate house
1: right now? Nothing. It's quiet. I mean, yeah. let's just skip to the chase here. I mean, and I have my staff meetings this morning we're preparing our fall what load we just set up a schedule today you know we you know obviously constituent services continue uh phone calls to the office we reviewed who called in and reviewing emails this morning um you know set a plan of who's talking to whom so to speak and communication in the office and you know what do i need to do as part of the team so to speak um to to get the work done um and uh we know we're waiting for a schedule regarding, you know, read overrides, that's up next. And, you know, as we talked about before the summer break, uh, well, not summer, August break, we want to get really August off, we don't really get a summer. Um, you know, hoping that House and Senate leadership will break through whatever's going on in their conversations that has now trickled down to uh, Senate chairs in particular regarding not moving bills out of committees. Hmm. So, you know hoping that maybe everybody got a restful summer and uh, when the conversations come up again uh that everyone would be like you know let's got to move forward here um but i mean yeah, the, the senate,
0: senate package is the one i, I think of
1: so well, i'm more concerned about the committee level stuff to be honest folks i oh, mean okay. i'm the chair of the committee and uh, my senators got instructions from the senate president to not do anything um I I that's untenable from my standpoint. I mean, I I need to move bills or, uh, you know, move to, to more work on bills, and I need a co-chair uh, that is, uh, able to do it. And the president's office is instructed, you know, don't do anything. And it's really, yeah, it's been very troubling. We we touched on this briefly back in July, but it, it's I need, you know, what well my needs are that important to the Senate President, but I mean it would be nice if. You just let the committees do their jobs. Yeah, well, I didn't realize
0: it was that it was that direct uh a statement. I just thought it was um, you know, just a bog down in, in discussions. I didn't realize it was purposeful.
1: Well, it's trickled down to our level. Yeah. That that's what troubles me, you know, and the Senate president's orders, you know, was an indication it's trickled down to our level. And it really hit its uh co chairs from from doing this and frankly all of us will learn to get along it is not in our best interest to fight each other as we're trying to learn about each other and develop a working relationship and this takes time so you can't just you know walk into a room and suddenly you know you're instant buddies right you yeah. gotta work on these relationships uh to get a working relationship going um interesting so, yeah yeah this, this, about
0: this when when mar healy first got elected you said it's not a guarantee just because there's a democratically controlled executive branch that there's going to be all, you know, peaches and
1: marshmallows. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. I mean, this is still a business with people and not all people get along, but it's imperative for all of us to learn how to work together. And sometimes, you know, life friends come out of it. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of like you got to just kind of work through whatever the deal was with the other person Like it's no two people are the same, and same thing working with my own committee members. You know, I got new committee members for the first time. I got new people who were elected on my committee for the first time too. And you know, try to help them out. For example, you know, you know, we did. I think I mentioned this already, but we did like an office hour type thing in August, just for mm-hmm. my members to go through the various bills and public hearings we've had. Uh, it gets overwhelming sometimes. People like didn't think of an issue. You know, back in June. They gave us some thought they want to talk to the chair about it in August and and try to understand what the dynamics are. So, you know, it's it's uh, the misconception is always like, well, you just do what the speaker says. Well, kind of. Yeah, kind of. No, it's well, uh, right. Because you're answerable to your constituency. That's correct. And I have to answer my membership because my membership has to vote on my bills. So I need a bill. I need to convince my members to go with me on these bills. Right. Same thing with my co-chair. I need my co-chair to help agree on the bill, too, so we can agree on the same page. We want to be on the same page when we present it to the membership. And then when we present the leadership, we want to be on the same page of the conversation. If we're not in agreement, that's fine, too. But we like to inform the members and leadership that we're not in agreement.
0: Right. At least talk. Keep Continue talking, right?
1: (laughs) agreed and try to figure out, you know, where we need to be on certain things together. And uh, it's It's the
0: federal government that's in danger of shutting down, not the state government.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, the the doom and gloom uh, funding deadline, as much as uh, we get criticism for our late budget. And we talked about this before about the fact they don't worry about it because I understand how the budget works. I mean, the federal government has legit shutdown problems. uh, And uh, I don't hear the level of criticism uh, in the local papers uh, that that they place on us uh, when you have a uh, the biggest economy in the world that literally does not have an annual budget, like literally. That's why you have these continuing appropriations. the The legislature, the Congress, has not approved a budget. I think since the Bush George W. Bush, and I think that was like early in the W. Bush administration. I mean, they refused to approve one during the Obama administration, refused to put do one on the Trump administration, and continue not to approve one the Biden administration, and you want my speculation, folks, this is my speculation, is that, you know, the party in power, it doesn't matter which party, as soon as they establish their own budget, you know, one, they have to balance it, which they don't have to do in continuing appropriations. And two, they don't want to upset anybody. You know, as I've learned over decades of doing this now, once you establish a budget out there, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, Somebody's going to get mad because once you actually see the proposal, it activates the activists uh, at all levels, whether it be business or not-for-profits or citizens or whatever, right? And, you know, they start advocating and they're angry at the legislatures uh, because they weren't funded or funded the level they want or have uh, outside section language policies that they want. Yeah, basically, they, took, they take the easy way out, basically. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point of view, as, as I uh, sometimes remind the federal delegation folks. I mean, I do kind of see things a little different because of the nature of my job. And I can't hide from the from the constituency. Trust me, they keep my head in on many things. They're unhappy about not getting enough funding for it. Um, but at the federal level, uh, you know, as soon as either political party, it doesn't matter who is in power to put a budget proposal out there, it's up for public scrutiny. And, you know, let the games begin, so to speak, on the advocates, you know, no reason what doesn't, I don't care, any special interest group, any advocacy group goes in and starts arguing about it. And it puts, you know, the um, congressional folks in a bad position where they now have local advocates in their own constituencies now fighting for things. And they're going to get in this little conflict between their base uh, of voters uh, that they think is their base. And then you got the advocates on the other side. Uh, that, uh, you know, creates a different type of friction that I deal with, quite frankly, on a regular basis. So, uh, you know, not having a budget doesn't expose you to uh, policy positions regarding government spending.
0: Right. It's the easy way out, like I said.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just keep kicking it down the road. Yep. And uh, as you can tell, I'm not partisan on that matter. It's, It's a game played by both sides. Right. Yeah. Yeah uh what is uh going to be happening with ballot questions in the 2024
0: election cycle
1: well uh depending on the governor uh, i'm sorry the attorney general certifies the ballot question you have to get a next set of signatures um coming up i think in october it's not that many relatively speaking and then you know the bills they become bills filed to the legislature at the beginning of the year the committees uh have to at least give one public hearing they're not subject to the house rules because they're ballot questions it's the statutory issues and I believe the first week in May because the date changes around because it's days not with number of days of filing, not necessarily the exact day of a month. I believe the legislature has to make a uh, decision, uh, actually has to approve it in the sense that the governor's desk before then. If not, the advocates get more signatures and proceed to uh, take us on or take you on, because it's not me anymore. Take me on in the sense that I'm a voter, just like you, uh, right. in November uh, to try to get it approved. Um, so, but it's it's a still a journey because uh, the Constitution has very strict provisions regarding ballot questions, particularly the issue of how many questions you can ask. You only when you ask one question, you can't ask multiple questions. Right. Remember, a couple got disqualified because of that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got to be tightly uh, tightened in a way where the, the ballot question uh, uh, answers that one question, or policy piece. So if you don't get approved by the AG or maybe you have been approved by the AG, you still have a chance to appeal the AG's decision at the Supreme Judicial Court. So, you know, sometime, um, probably October-ish, you know, lawsuits are going to start.
0: Yeah. Two have already been um, approved. Uh, the question of should the MCAS be a graduation requirement and should rent control be eliminated? It doesn't mean they're going to appear on the ballot. It just means that they passed constitutional muster.
1: Well, oh, AG's uh interpretation of the Constitution Mustard. Right. Well, and I'm asked, the, the MCAS issue is not new. MCAS has been around for many years. I think there are no kids left. They do not remember what MCAS is. Um, and uh, you know, it's a prerequisite for graduation. It does have some drawbacks to MCAS. Uh the people are teaching to the test. The school system is limited on how much it can be creative. MCAS are used as a gauge of a school system as opposed to actually looking to totality of it. As, you know, people look at one one number as opposed to looking to totality of the system. Um, but MCAS also is trying to establish minimum educational standards at a statewide level that, you know, should at all schools at least teaching minimum level um, adequacy. I personally think you need to do reading and math. Everything else should really be just basic knowledge and um, – you know, school systems shall have a lot of flexibility on, on the remainder. But, you know, as, as a joke, you know, this, you know, from the, from the movie Incredibles too, you know, this isn't, what is this? This isn't math, right? Um, you have to go through a long steps of, I don't know why because no one needs to know uh, how to get one plus one. I don't need to write you a, um, a mathematical theorem to explain why I got one to one to equal two. Um, it doesn't help your cognitive learning. I don't believe that at all, <laughs> but that's just me.
0: I don't know. I'm. Uh, I mean, math today is taught very differently than when you and I were in school. Well, I think it was more
1: expeditious when when we were kids learning math because it, you know, got to the point, and you knew the basics. You can get to any point. Um, same thing with reading, as long as you understand, you know, the basics of how it works, you know, it's a foundation of your future education, to learn things.
0: Exactly. You know? Yeah, that's, it. that's exactly right. It teaches you how to learn because you're never going to learn everything, you know, but if you know how to learn, then you're in good
1: shape. Standardized testing does not require uh, cognitive thinking because the majority of standard tests is mobile choice. It's all rote.
0: Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah.
1: So either doing things by commit memory or you're doing a, a problem solving using a mobile choice system as opposed to writing an essay or answering a question or things like that. And yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Listen, I, I, listen, I, I have some things you can hear that I like about MCAS. As you also can hear uh from the same conversation, I have a lot of things I don't like about it. And uh
0: yeah, that's the biggest biggest question is should it be a requirement for graduation? You know, I don't think I don't think teachers argue that it's it's a good way to assess um, a student's skills, but should they be required to pass it in order to graduate?
1: Mm. Yeah, you can talk to Frank Satoro more about it. You know, I talked to Frank as principal of Quincy High School, one of the challenges in this city is people as English language learners. Yeah, you know. Going to get here at like age fourteen, trying to learn English, it you know, puts them at a disadvantage regarding MCAS. So they may be, you know, quite well educated in terms of the sense that they can be educated, in the sense that they they're not, you know, they can do it. It's just mm-hmm. you know, they're behind on, on language skills. You know, when I was at St. Anne's School many many moons ago, you know, we were required to take aptitude tests by the state every so often to see if the if the school was meeting the state minimum standard on on education. Um, I remember doing those standardized tests. Oh yeah, it was
0: pop quiz. That was the that was the term, and because you didn't know it was coming,
1: yeah. But we never taught towards the test, right? You know, uh, I remember well because I was good at fractions for some reason. Oh, very good. Okay, I <laughs> no can't explain.
0: <laughs> Percentages was a big help for me. Uh, once I mastered that, it was a that was a help.
1: <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So. I also learned how to do context clues, right? I mean, uh, I, people who know me know I have a lot of trouble spelling. Grammar is always a bit of a challenge for me. Um, but uh, context clues is how I get by in reading. And I still practice that today. I mean, I read a lot of stuff, as you know, regarding reports and a lot of bills and bill drafts. And you know, you hit a point where like the sentence is a little bit of nonsense, so I'm forced to try to figure out what they try to get to uh, on context clues based on the totality of the document. Again, you mm-hmm. don't focus in on one little thing; you got to see the whole picture. That's and right. from there, you kind of fill the blank of where a legislature was legislator was trying to go writing a bill.
0: Yeah, that's a skill that I was taught uh, in in news writing because we, you know, you really have to paraphrase a news story to make it comprehensible to your audience.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, am, I don't know what's in today's education. I have no kids, so I can't speak from personal knowledge. We're just talking, you know, you and I talking about things that helped us out when we were young. Right. We were both young at one time. <laughs> that skills we carry on today, right? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, how about rent control? Well, this is round two for rent control. The uh, The fact is, you know, this was voted on back in 1994, I think. Oh, that the voters uh, decided to uh, not have rent control. And, and uh, as a result, um, uh, that's where we are today. In fact, I believe it was only a small number of communities. I think it was like Cambridge, Boston, and maybe a handful of others had rent control. Most I know, Cambridge st- for sure, yeah. Yeah, most of them got rid of rent control. And people old enough remember that, you know, there was a quote-unquote housing slash rent control board mm-hmm. um, at all community levels that would uh, you could appeal or th- you dispute rent. Uh, issues regarding your landlord and uh, those boards and commissions don't exist anymore as far as i'm aware of
0: yeah i don't know i don't think they do
1: yeah this was a thing at one time Oh yeah uh, before i got to government 94 i was still in college but i i believe it was 94 so this is kind of re- 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 uh, part uh, repeat. Uh, a repeat question i suppose i suppose 30 is it 30 years later Two years ago yeah yeah, and it'll be interesting you know, how the campaign works out. It was soundly repealed, rent control, in 94, like really soundly repealed by the voters. Um, yeah, of was-
0: rent was not like it is today then, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and slumlords, people forget what slumlords are. Uh, you know, rent control created a situation where um, since they couldn't get more money, they had no incentive to do capital improvements.
0: That's right, people living in squalor, yeah. It's-
1: and then you also have a situation where people were in immense wealth, uh, wouldn't give up their apartments because they had rent control so it just added to their wealth as opposed to moving someplace that could be uh, uh reflective of their income now like you couldn't right. you couldn't live uh you know meet your lifestyles I mean I don't discourage that but it doesn't uh, help folks that really need help um you know regarding um affordable rent when someone who's making you know millions of dollars is uh is perfectly justified to make, you know stay in a rent control housing unit right
0: yeah. And it, there also is the argument that it would prohibit developers from
1: building new housing. Well, it's a financing issue, right? The, the the rent agreements actually are tied to financing. And depending on how much your construction project costs, you do have to make a return on profit, plus you got to pay the loans off plus interest. And if you can't do that, that's a problem. So for example, uh, commercial real estate in Boston is having some issues because a lot of those new construction were financed on a plan of how much the rents would be. If they go below a certain rent level, it's almost not worth having a tenant because um, you're you, you better off trying to like argue you can't make the mortgage payments rather than get a meager sum compared to size of your mortgage.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes a money losing perspective
1: from right from the start. Yeah, you're better off trying to get off the write off, perhaps. And you know, if it's bad enough, you have a justification for bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, you well, know, obviously, we don't want that in Boston because it just destroyed the commercial real estate market completely right. uh, destroy it. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, I get it. We've been here before. I'm old enough to remember that we've been here before. Um, we'll see how the campaign works out and how much money is put in uh, by you know, interest groups on both sides uh, to make this argument. Um, also, remember this is going to attract. This is a homeowners are a very high voting base in, in, in the state. I think people forget that too. You know, people own homes, or as a guy who likes, to keep an eye on election numbers, uh, homeowners are have a higher voting rate than non-homeowners, mm-hmm. uh, particularly on non-presidential years. i uh, so I mean, like municipal elections and my elections when there's no president the ballot. You know, homeowners right. have a higher percentage of voting now, Doing doing in 2024 the advocates are hoping the renters will come out in droves um as part of a presidential year and voting vote in favor of rent control but there's a lot of homeowners oh yeah for sure
0: and uh, it's, it's not guaranteed they still have to get the a certain amount of signatures and you know defend any challenges that might be brought up against it but it uh, initially got a got a approval from the ag's office
1: Yeah, I'll be hard-pressed not to believe that the uh, development community and landlord associations won't fight this in court. I suspect they will. But in terms of gathering signatures, I mean, it's a low barrier compared to other states. And let's be honest about this too. I mean, uh, professional ballot ballot question gathering is not a profession, not a a volunteer system.
0: It's true, yeah. Although you'll still see them outside the supermarkets. (laughs)
1: Yeah. The, the, the deal is they they pay per signature. Um, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily legal. Um, I, I think if we try to ban that practice, it's because a First Amendment problem. I see. Okay. Um, so uh, not like all the advocates do it. I think um, the guys who did rank choice voting, I think they did it themselves. I don't think they used uh, a, a company to get the signatures. But we'll see. I mean, they don't uh we'll see what happens because um if they form a ballot question um pack, um you know, we'll get the reports on who they pay um as part of the disclosures on the pack. And then uh, you know, it won't be hard for media folks to try to figure out if they you know got signatures paid uh by pay people or they um, did it themselves.
0: Right. Yeah, it's public information at that point, yeah.
1: Hmm. I was thinking of you this morning,
0: Tech. I was reading a story about um, how car manufacturers have been given an F grade uh, for protecting privacy of consumers uh, when it comes to the telematics of their vehicles.
1: Well, I mean, what metric they're using regarding the privacy issue, right? I mean, if the car manufacturer is collecting all your data, of course, it's going to be an F. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, if the car manufacturer is collecting your data and has a properly encrypt- encrypted, and secured and not able to be accessed from an outside source, then they get an A for data protection,
0: right? And that so was the that, argument that it was not encrypted; it was just wide open.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, you, you do need, and it. that
0: they're selling it as well.
1: Well, that's a larger question we're trying to work through uh, in my committee regarding um, data sales and how it works um the concern is that you do data sales at a individual level meaning mean they know exactly who i am versus an aggregate level mm, yeah. so uh, believe it or not you can you all can go down to city hall and pay for a cd to get the city residency list mm-hmm. now that's individual data certain folks aren't on it for example police aren't on it um so you know we can do it now uh, through us, you know, get a, a Excel file and you you can sort it out yourself on individual data. Obviously, as an elected, you know, we need voter data. Otherwise, I don't know who I'm mailing stuff to, right? right. On the flip side, you know, you have a you know mass amounts of electronic data. Do you really need to know who Tacky Chan is uh, from Ford, or in my case, a Volkswagen? Um, the answer is probably no. But do they want to know, generally speaking, how many people have Volkswagens and Quincy? Maybe. Right. Data is a little bit tricky because what you need to find and what you're looking for and who actually cares about what you're selling for data is not as apparent as people will give it credit for. Like, you know, you need to know how many Volkswagen owners during in the zip code. means hmm. so, an individual, not a whole lot of anything. Yeah. Does it matter more if they have you know your individual address? Well, absolutely. You know, do they want to know what the fuel efficiency of people driving in Quincy is? Do you really care? Probably not. You know, uh, how many- Not marketable. It's not yes, marketable. Yeah. Right, but you may need it for research data. True. Right. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, how do you think uh, we can we know what the fuel efficiency of drivers in a specific region are? Mm. Is it telemetric data? Yeah. Right, and that data can be used largely for more efficient vehicle construction down the road. Now, can you sell that data? Sure. I mean, you know, it's like you could probably sell it to most likely insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: that's a good point. Sure.
1: Yeah, because like maybe some of you may remember, but insurance companies used to survey you on how many miles you drive, how many days a week you drive to work. Why? because the insurance company wants to have an idea of your car usage as part of their calculation regarding coverage in certain geographic areas. Yeah, they're so trying if, to assign
0: risk, exactly, yeah.
1: Absolutely. So if your car is in your driveway three out of uh, seven days a week, this risk assessment of being in your car is very different from being at seven days a week. Right, yeah. So uh, with telemetric data, well, insurance companies will have a better idea of people's driving patterns and aggregate and, you know, do a reassessment of risk.
0: Mm. Yep. It's, uh, it's it's an open book. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people don't even realize uh, how much of, of their daily lives are, you know, calculated
1: and distributed. Yeah, it's just different how we do it. Instead of saying you a survey, you know, now the collection's directing a car. Um, we talked about this regarding right to repair. Mm -hmm. Um, telemetry data will be given to your car repair person. They can strip everything out of it, including your contact list. Uh, they can get to it somehow, and then you know play with the software. So, again, data protection. uh, As you can hear, I do a lot of this stuff. Uh, It's a contextual issue, right? You know, everybody has an F, depending Mm -hmm. on define what you're looking for in terms of data protection.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, I know something else you're familiar with is um, the energy industry, and I see that one of the wind farm projects, um, I think it was Coast Wind off the Vineyard withdrew their project uh, because of the financial viability of it.
1: Yeah, I agree. This is one of the things I think people forget about um, energy in general. Uh, Energy is not a low-risk investment. It actually is a high-risk investment because of the construction. Mm-hmm. And the government regulation on it and unpredictability of usage. So it's kind of funny because we all need electricity. I mean, I dare anybody to tell me they, they don't use electricity, right? If you don't have electricity, you're not listening to me and you right now on whatever right. device you're using. And you figure, you know, it's a guaranteed revenue source because you're going to have guaranteed customers. But we're in a competitive energy generation state. And even though we mandate certain requirements for renewable power, the government Oversight regarding uh, load usage is very complex. So, example, we're very high energy efficiency state, light bulbs, heating sealants, changing your fuel sources for your um, heating systems, new appliances, changes energy load, meaning how much you consume. Big industrial customers would be a giant factory or it could be you at your home, you know, can reduce your usage. You know, as I've talked over, we very much encourage people to, to manage their power at home to reduce the cost of, of your bill. But that hurts the generators mm-hmm. because the generators um, need uh, guaranteed customer usage to make their uh, profits, which then pays their mortgage, which then pays their shareholders, which pays also the interest out of this stuff, plus the general cost of maintenance and the price of the, of the uh, construction itself. And if you can't make those numbers, the project will fail. Right. And hyperinflation the last several years is very problematic because you know you need to get steel. Steel's not cheap, right? You need fossil fuels. Believe it or not, you need grease. It is a windmill, right? You know, and as, as I like to say, it's acceptable fossil fuel. I mean, you're not mm-hmm. using it to burn. And you also got a safety factor, right? If you know windmill goes down, a lot of grease and toxic materials come out inside of it. Okay, not good. Fifty of them go down. Okay, now we got a spill, right? Depending on the circumstances. So, I mean, these things have to, you know, sit in an ocean or potential Category Two hurricane coming up the coastline to keep them, keep them from being destroyed. Yes. So, this is a very costly endeavor, and uh, investors uh, will want a high rate of return for high risk. And government intervention in your project is considered high risk.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: So, if the government decides that you know we're not going to change, we're going to change a policy regarding the types of renewable power. Let's say we decide you solar is supposed to win and change the portfolio. Well, that puts investor money at risk. They want to, they want going to want a high return because governments are predictable, right? You know, if there's a demand load reduction, massive demand load reduction because the government's pushing demand load reduction, you use less electricity. Well, that means you're selling less electricity. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's a catch twenty two.
1: Exactly. In the windmill industry the, uh, wants uh, the government wants a fixed price with a cost adjustment, CPI type of adjustment, you know, on an NGD sell to customers. And uh well, you're working on a fixed cost. And we just discovered, you know, 9% inflation um on our fixed cost uh lifestyles because you know raises weren't happening just yet. And even then raises weren't keeping up with. Inflation and you know, if you're retired uh living on a fixed income, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, when developer would get um a self fixed cost plus um some um adjustment for CPI or or whatever, but that's always gonna be a lagging indicator because you don't know what it is to actually happens. And it won't be adjusted, it'll be adjusted on a yearly rate, subject to regulation, meaning the DPU actually has to prove um, that adjustment. Um and there's no guarantee that's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. Investors get scared. And they're going to pull out. And
0: yeah. so it's going to slow everything down. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This isn't like some, you know, one acre of solar farm. We're talking about hundreds of ginormous 300 foot plus uh, windmills that are going to be de- 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 uh, heavily uh, on foundation into bedrock um, that is basically, you know, major storm resistant. Plus, you got to lay the cable down. Um, in a grid format with every windmill underwater which has environmental disruption so you got to deal with all that stuff because people forget it's not just about birds flying by a windmill but you got you know an impact of sea life moving around it. but you got to lay down some cables this isn't like just one giant telephone cable across the ocean this is a lot of cabling and then you got to get that cabling on shore and connect it to a a transmission line to get it on into the grid system for New England so um, so yeah so it's a lot of money yeah, you know, it's. Uh, inflation needs to be uh, <laughs> brought under control for a lot of things. That's just one of them. Yeah, the windmills will be produced in Europe, and they're in kind of a recessionary inflation situation. They have to transport them here, which is fuel cost, and then you assemble them hopefully in Massachusetts, which is our objective. You know, that's a whole energy cost there, the manpower. Mm-hmm. So you got to ship them out into the ocean one at a time. Then you have to, you know, start assembling them out in the ocean. And then you got to get down and lay those foundations deep in bedrock, which, you know, of course, is environmental impacts. And then you got you to gotta drill deep. You can't you just, you know, you got to drill deep to get yeah. this. You can't just plop it on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, yeah, you have to drill deep. I mean, you know, so as you can imagine, you know, it's not cheap. Um, And, uh, you know, investors and banks, you know, it's their money, not yours. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's
0: uh, going to be a slow process, to say the least, for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, COVID, you know, Ukraine, um, global market changes, you know, this macroeconomics on a, on a global level has now impacted us at a local level regarding windmills. It's unfortunate, mm-hmm. this is kind of where we are. Um, I don't know what else to say. So hopefully, you know, another company will find it acceptable to bid into our system um, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah. I think they are planning to resubmit next year, but obviously it'll be at a higher cost.
1: Well, this is a delay in the project by many years because right. you, you just you got to get everything ramped up. You have to get your orders in for the for the materials and and all that for future construction, which is somewhat disappointing because you know I was really eager to have more renewable power come through the system, but as you can tell, I'm not oblivious to how the stuff is paid for. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, we're at the end of our hour, Techie. Again. Again, it's time flies where you're having fun, Joe. <laughs> we always wonder at the beginning, how are we ever going to fill an hour and then we never have a problem?
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, it's just the two of us talking. Uh, and that's a, what makes this a lot of fun. And uh, as you can tell, uh, we both enjoy doing this. Um, sometimes I do ramble. Uh, Joe lets me ramble. Um, but we always hope that, you know, provides some insight and perhaps a different point of view that you may have or may have Uh, thought of and uh, the objective here is not to convince you of anything um it's just to hopefully provide some useful information and and another way of looking at life
0: yeah and you know folks have suggestions on topics that they would like us to talk about or questions be open to that be happy to hear from them yeah send it to joe
1: uh joe joe's my intern (laughs) oh i'm back in high school now (laughs) 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 <laughs>
0: uh, yes they can send it to me but they can send it to you too and how do they do that
1: oh well no don't send it to me send it to Joe if you give it to me I'm not giving it to Joe I mean why would they do oh. it like Okay. but uh, no it's uh, tacky.chan at mahouse.gov t-a-c-k-e-y-c-h-a at mahouse, mahouse.gov again I'd like to let you know my email situation we are very uh, manageable right now on email so happy to be able to see your emails uh, at chan. Um, uh, is my Twitter slash X account, whatever you call it these days, and as well as uh, State Representative Tacky Chan Facebook. Uh, we have Tacky Chan at the ORG, which is just an informational page. And, you know, the way you can contact me through the form link there. And, uh, of course, malegislature.gov. malegislature.gov is the state official website, which I'm not allowed to make my own web webpage. Hence, I have my own website for work purposes only. And of course, you know you listen to Joe in the morning in his podcast. Uh, you know we'll play some catch up. And of course, uh, you can uh, watch us here at QA TV as well as the QA TV podcasts. And you can uh, not just listen to me, but many other interesting and other elected officials. Absolutely, thanks a lot, Techie. As always, good to talk to you. Great talking to you, Joe. See you in a week's time.